You know, I think everyone forgets that we're in a, a metal contraption flying through the sky, how magical that actually is. You know, I, I think a lot of people just see it as a way to get from point A to point B. But when we actually stop and think about it, how much actually goes into making a flight happen? You have your flight attendants, you have your pilots, but you have so many people behind the scenes. The TWA Hotel really brought to light those people in the service industry and aviation as well. Hey, this is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Curtis Rouser. In late June, we hosted a private tour of the TWA Hotel at JFK Airport. The hotel is located in the former TWA Flight Center, which was designed in 1962 by Aero Saarinen. It's known for its iconic wing-shaped roof and sleek retro aesthetic. The terminal closed in 2001, but it had been designated a New York City landmark a few years earlier, so luckily the building was spared from demolition. Then, in 2019, the TWA Hotel opened its doors to the public. Today, I'll share two conversations I had with the attendees of the private tour. Both had unique connections to the space. First, meet Wayne Wiggins, a former baggage handler who worked at JFK from 1990 to 1994. The event was his first time seeing what his old stomping grounds have now become. All right, so um, we're here at TWA Hotel. And who am I speaking with? Wayne Wiggins, baggage handler from, from JFK from 1990 to 1994. And um, is this your first time back here since you've left in 1994? Second time. When they first had the initial opening of the hotel, we came through. Mm. You know, when they were just building and, you know, and, but we didn't get a, a real... Uh, tour. Now is my first time back. And so how has that how has that experience been all around? Like, is, is there a lot of new stuff that wasn't here when you first, you know, um, visited a few years back and compared oh, yeah. to 94 especially? Well, 94, like I said, is a lot more crowded. And then uh, at least the last time I came back here, you know, they were still doing a lot of uh, building. So they just had a few things TWA. And it was ironically, there was a couple of em- ex-employees who came in and they were in their uh, TWA garb. They still had to, like an older guy who was retired and he still has TWA uniform he came in. <laughs> I said, that was cool. I said, man, I wish I would have kept some of my uniforms. <laughs> so um, how, how did you get into baggage handling back in the 90s? Like, how did you come across this job? Most of these jobs, you know, everybody knew you wanted to be, if you could work at the airline because you had flight benefits. So I had a friend of mine from high school who, uh, one of my best friends, worked at the airport. And say, Wayne, you want to work for TWA? I said, yeah, sure, why not? He said, now the thing that got me was, he told me, well, it's probably going to be for the summer. They're going to lay you off, but you keep your flight benefits. Lo and behold, they never laid me off. And I'm like, man, I was there for, like I said, four years. And then I left that to go work for the city. But, you know, I still say, even though I got paid crap money, because I believe I started out at $7 an hour and I ended up at $9 an hour. Hey, it was making no money, but hey, hey it was, I still say it's one of the best jobs, if not the best job I've ever had. And why, why do you say that? That's the because it, time you said that. Because too. it was fun. You mm-hmm. came in, you did your job, people didn't bother you, plus you got a chance to fly. I mean, before TSA, before uh, Homeland Security, before 9-11, what you would do is you would come in, like say you wanted to go to California, or wherever you want to go on your days off, and a lot of times you would get three days off in a row. So you would just come in, go up to the gate, you had uh, you put your employee ID in, and they, what they had back then was called payroll deduct. Mm. So the flight would cost us $10. So instead of paying for it right now, they just took it out of your paycheck. Mm. 
And, you know, so you would fly. And depending on how much you fly, sometimes you get a paycheck that had less money, that had nothing on it. Mm -hmm. So you still owe us X amount of dollars. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, it was it was great. And then my, my son, my oldest son now, when he was a kid, he, he loved it. We went first class. I mean, yeah. So you would say the benefits and just the fun. Yes, really it was. Wild. Yeah, it was yeah, that's fun. yeah. Yeah, the money was sucked. <laughs> but if you ask my friend who uh, got me the job, he works for AirTrain. Mm -hmm. And and he, without a doubt, without a doubt, he still says, uh, you know, that was the best job he had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, I loved it. Right, cool. I, I, I wish we had, uh, I wish they paid better money. Yeah. Than they, oh, yeah. <laughs> I still be working. Would, yeah, I, was I still be working. Like Wayne, another attendee, Reza Mohammed, also had a personal connection to JFK. As a kid growing up in Queens, he dreamed of flying and eventually became a pilot. Reza told me about his love for the golden age of aviation. You know, I think everyone forgets that we're in a, a metal contraption flying through the sky, how magical that actually is. You know, I, I think a lot of people just see it as a way to get from point A to point B. But when we actually stop and think about it, how much actually goes into making a flight happen? You have your flight attendants, you have your pilots, but you have so many people behind the scenes. The TWA Hotel really brought to light those people in the service industry and in aviation as well. The TWA tour wasn't the only event we helped organize last month. In partnership with the Asian American Federation, NYC's Open Streets, and the Department of Transportation, we brought hungry New Yorkers together for the Find Your Soul event. It was an interactive experience where attendees got to try Korean classics and specialties. Across the street from the Murray Hill stop on the Long Island Railroad, a series of tables have been set up in a public plaza. The area has long been ground zero for Korean food in New York City. Epicenter's Hari Adivarakar spoke to Joanne Yo, Executive Director of the Asian American Federation, about the event, the food, and the community. I think a lot of people who are not Asian Americans assume that we have Manhattan Chinatown and Jackson Heights and downtown Flushing as the Asian hubs, but the reality is that there are Asian hubs everywhere, all over Brooklyn, all over the Bronx, all over Queens, and I think we, this is our effort, our strategy to really highlight all of them. And why these neighborhood enclaves are important to us is because um, oftentimes, historically, these neighborhood Hood enclaves. This is one of the places that we were only allowed. We were allowed to live. We could not live anywhere. And so I know that the the folks here are very. The merchants here are very proud of their heritage, and they talk about being like the authentic food corner that we cater to nobody, except this is the authentic food corner. So we don't have to change our recipe. We don't have to change anything. We serve it to you like we serve it to Koreans, right? In, in Korea. And so I think those things are really important. Um, I know a lot of young people come here. We're starting to see a lot of tourism from other boroughs, which is really exciting. And for us, we see the popularity of K-pop, Korean culture, Korean drama, movies. And it's really exciting to be able to tap into that and to introduce the other side of all of this, which is the Korean American culture and how every immigrant, and this is really to celebrate that that every immigrant community comes here to lend their special culture, their special, their, their extra special, unique, that's something, to be able to contribute to making our city and state something really unique, to be able to create a new home for themselves that they don't have to give up who they were at home, but they also 
merge that and embrace who they are here. And so it creates something really, really beautiful. And that is something that we all, all New Yorkers celebrate. This campaign is Find Your Soul, S-E-O-U-L. Um, it's all mapped out. But I think one of the nice things about these Korean restaurants, um, they want to attract customers. So of course, if you go in there and say, what does this mean? Um, I'm looking for something not spicy. They can certainly guide you um, and to tell you this is what you should order. Certainly, I think Korean food has, the popularity has skyrocketed. So, and I think that's really exciting because I think all of this is really about an opportunity for us to share our culture and our heritage with each other. A lot of the small business, the restaurants here have said that they're getting a lot of customer from the Bronx. So, you know, God bless New Yorkers because we will get, we will, we will travel for food. And I think that's, you know, we are all foodies. With our Find, find, uh, find Your Soul campaign, there's actually a map that you can, and it pinpoints all the uh, restaurants that you can visit. It'll tell you what they're serving, what their hours are. It's really, I, I just saw it for the first time, my staff had done it. It's really beautiful map. And it's gonna be up on, uploaded to our website so that that way people can look at that and to be able to say, oh, this is what I wanna try. This is a seafood restaurant. Oh, this is where they have the Korean stews. Um, it's all mapped out. They're ours. You can find it at uh, www You can learn more about Murray Hill and how you can support Asian-owned small businesses on Asian American Federation's website or Instagram, linked to in our show notes. To join events like this in our TWA tour, make sure you're in the loop. Sign up for our email newsletter today at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description.